Welcome, my true crime roadies. I'm your host, Angela Baum, along with my husband, Larry, and this is Trucking True Crime Podcast, a true crime show where we focus on true crime stories that happen within the trucking industry. But don't worry, you don't need to know anything about the trucking industry to listen and enjoy the show. You just need to be a fan of true crime. And if that's you, then welcome inside. As a reminder, if you'd like to learn more about our life over the road as team truck drivers, you can listen to our other podcast, Married to the Road, where we share our lives over the road and stories along the way with our three furry dogs. As a reminder, our podcast discusses true crimes and murders. This is not a show for the faint of heart, and this is not intended for young audiences. Welcome back, all my true crime lovers. I am your host, Angela Baum, and you are listening to Trucking True Crime Podcast. This is a show where I focus on true crime stories that involve the trucking community. Sometimes a truck driver is the victim, or sometimes they are the guilty party. But don't worry, you don't need to know anything about the trucking industry to be able to sit back and enjoy these trucking true crime stories. Before I begin today, I just wanted to remind you to be sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you are listening to our podcast at. This really does help us in our ratings. Now welcome home and let's get on with today's story. Today's story is about how two friends from high school reunite later in life. They wind up falling in love and starting to build a new family together, only to have their love story end in such a tragic ending. So let's get on with our story. This all takes place in Fontana, California. Don Moore had just walked into the trekking company that he worked at. He had his coffee in his hand and he was ready for the day's work. This is when he sat down at his computer to begin the long task of checking on all of his truck drivers. See, Don's normal ritual every morning was that he would pull up the GPS coordinates of all of his local truck drivers. He would then compare them against the trekking jobs that they were assigned for that day. Now what Don was looking for was to make sure that all the truck drivers were either at their jobs or heading in that direction so that they would be arriving in a timely manner. But when Don sat down at his computer and began his morning research, he noticed that one of the trucks for one of their most reliable drivers had not moved in the, during the entire night. Now this truck driver was a longtime employee of this Fontana-based trucking company. He was also one of the most reliable drivers that they had. So when Don saw that this truck had not moved and he was expected to be at a morning delivery, this set off immediate alarm bells in Don Moore. Don immediately reached out to a driver named Albert Thomas's wife, Lorraine, and asked her if she had heard from her husband that morning. Lorraine said that she also was in a panic as she relayed to Don that she had not heard from her husband in that morning, and this was highly unusual for him to not reach out to her in the morning and check on her. Their normal routine was that Albert would check in with her every morning as Lorraine was getting ready for work. They would chit-chat for a little bit before she headed off for her day's work. 
but on that particular morning, neither Lorraine or her daughter had heard from Albert, and they were both starting to get a little bit worried. Don decided to reach out to another driver within the company, whose name was Richard. He asked him to head out to the location that the GPS was saying that Albert's truck was pinging at. They thought that maybe Albert had run into some mechanical issues with his truck and maybe was needing a helping hand. Albert's truck was located about 30 minutes away from his office in Fontana. As Richard arrived at the scene, he noticed that the driver door of Albert's semi-truck was open. This was highly unusual, especially because he did not see Albert anywhere on the outside of his truck. Initially, Richard thought, well, maybe his truck's broken down, but as he began to surveil around the truck, he didn't see Albert anywhere outside, nor did he see any tools laying around or the hood open, and he just got a very uneasy feeling. As Richard began to climb the steps of the semi-truck, he said that the hairs on his arm began to raise. He just had a very uneasy feeling about this, that this was just not right. As he got into the driver's seat and looked around, he didn't see anything. Suddenly, he looked over his shoulder and saw Albert laying there, face down, between the driver and passenger seats. As soon as Richard saw him laying there, he said that the hairs on his arms began to rise, and he knew immediately that Albert was dead. In an interview that I saw on Oxygen, Richard said, I don't know how I knew, I just knew that looking at Albert that there was no way that we could try to save him, that he had been dead for a while. Now we need to learn a little bit about Albert. Albert grew up in Mississippi, and from everyone that knew him, they said that he was a very shy and quiet, but very friendly type of person. As he was a kid, he began to be the star on the high school football team. And from everybody that knew him, they said that he was well-liked by all. He was just the good, all-around good kid in the Mississippi area. Now, Albert met his high school sweetheart. Her name was Helen Thomas. The two of them met while they were riding back and forth on the school bus to and from school. The two lovebirds quickly fell in love, and before Helen was even out of high school, they soon found themselves pregnant. Now the two of them went on to have a beautiful baby girl together and before too long they soon got married. Now Albert knew that he had a growing family that he needed to support and of course the responsibilities that come along with starting a small family. So he soon set off to get a local factory job. At this factory job everyone that worked with Albert said that he was a very hard worker very dependable and if they ever needed anyone they knew they could always go to Albert. They said that Albert was a type of person who really took his job very seriously mainly because he knew that he was the main breadwinner of his family. After a few years Albert decided that he was going to try a new career opportunity. He wanted to have a more stable job with a larger income potential just to help his family. So he saw a flyer and decided that he would go off to truck driving school and soon got a job at a local Fontana, California trucking company as a long haul truck driver. Albert soon found himself away from his family for weeks at a time, 
but this new job and the lifestyle allowed him to care for his young family and provide them a much better income. Now, Helen and Albert were together for over 20 years. But after 20 years of being on the road as a truck driver, this type of life really took a toll on their long marriage. And soon, Helen and Albert found themselves getting a divorce. Now, from everyone I could see, they said that the divorce between Albert and Helen was definitely a mutual decision, and they two, the two of them still remained friends even after the divorce. Shortly after this divorce, Albert wound up running into an old high school friend of his named Lorraine. Her name was Lorraine Hunter. The two of them hit it off pretty quickly. Now, during their time away from each other, which was about 25 years, Lorraine had been through several failed relationships. She started to explain to Albert her life story and told him how she had just never found the true love of her life. However, through her relationships, she was blessed to give birth to two sons of her own. However, Lorraine did not marry any of those gentlemen. Lorraine also went on to explain to her, to her new love, Albert, about how she had had other failed relationships and that she just had one that she had recently been in. Lorraine explained that after her failed relationship, she had almost given up on love when she happened to meet a man named Alan Brown. Now, over the next 10 years after meeting Alan Brown, it seemed that Lorraine and Alan had a very tumultuous relationship. With Lorraine complaining to her friends that they were always struggling with money issues. Lorraine's friends could never really understand why. Because from all they could see, Alan had a really good paying job. They really didn't understand why they were having such financial difficulties. Alan was known to be a very good provider to her and her two sons. After their 10 years together, the two of them did briefly call it quits. During their time apart, which was about nine months, Lorraine wound up getting pregnant for someone else that she began a relationship with, and she wound up having her daughter, Brianna. Shortly after giving birth to Brianna, her and Alan found their way back to each other again, and they started right back up where they had left off. Family members said that Alan just loved Brianna as though she was his own daughter from the very beginning that they got back together. He was a loving and doting father to her. Sadly, their romance, though, would come to a tragic end, when just three years after Brianna was born, Alan was killed. It seemed that Alan was a victim of a carjacking where he was shot and killed. This crime went unsolved for a very long time. The night of the supposed carjacking, Lorraine was actually with him at the time. It seemed that the two lovebirds were in a parking lot when Lorraine told Alan that she thought she heard a funny clicking noise coming from just under the hood of the car. So Alan, being the protector that he was, he went out to go investigate. It was at that moment that when he went to go look underneath the hood of the car that he was shot in the back of the head by a shotgun. Lorraine immediately called the police and when they arrived there, Alan was still alive on the ground. Alan told the police that he had no idea who had shot him because they shot him from behind, but that he felt that maybe it had been a carjacking situation. The ambulance workers transported Alan to the local hospital. 
but sadly just a few days later Alan wound up succumbing to his wounds and died in the hospital. Now Lorraine said that she had found herself now having to care for her daughter Brianna without the financial support of having anyone in her life now that Alan was gone. And as to this point, in her mid-thirties, Lorraine had never had a job. She was a type of woman that was always used to relying on others to provide for her. Every relationship that she had ever been in, the man had been the one taking care of her. Lorraine was never a type of person that ever had to work or help to have to provide for herself. Having no other choice, Lorraine was forced to move back in with her parents. She began helping them around the house with cooking and cleaning to help out, as her parents provided for both her and Brianna and helped her raise her daughter. Lorraine went out of town for a few weeks after she moved in with her parents back to her old stomping grounds of Mississippi. It was there that she reunited from her old flame, her old flame from the past, Albert Thomas. In those few weeks that the two of them were together, they wound up growing very close. And within just a few weeks, she was sporting a brand new engagement ring that she had received from Albert. It wasn't long where the pair soon decided to tie the knot in Reno. And Lorraine and Brianna wound up moving from Mississippi all the way to California to be with Albert. Now to provide for his new family, Albert began working two jobs so that he could really take care of both of them. He wound up still continuing his truck driving, but doing local truck driving, and then also working at an auto zone. Albert really fell in love with Brianna. He showered her with anything she wanted, and he treated her like she was his own daughter. And there it was that the two of them were starting to finally rebuild their lives together. So when on that fateful morning that Richard, Albert's co-worker, found him slumped over dead in the cab of his truck. Now the apartment with, where Lorraine and her 16-year-old daughter Brianna were at. After Richard had notified the police about finding Albert slumped over in his semi-truck, the police decided, of course, that the next natural place for them to go was going to be his wife Lorraine's apartment. Now, Lorraine lived in this apartment with her 16-year-old daughter, Brianna, and Albert also. The police actually said that when they were on the balcony of the apartment of Albert, Lorraine, and Brianna, that you could actually see where Albert's truck was parked just a few blocks away. His truck was that close to his apartment. When the police first entered the apartment, they did not immediately make a death notice to Lorraine and Brianna. Instead, the detectives kind of wanted to see what the relationship truly was between Albert and Lorraine and to try to gain some insight into how their relationship was going. They started off with leading questions like, when was the last time that you saw him? Do you remember what Albert was wearing? Or where was he going? Lorraine told detectives that the last time that she had seen Albert was the night before, which was November 3rd, 2009. She said that he was heading out to his main job. Lorraine told detectives that Albert's main job was being a local truck driver and doing deliveries throughout the day, and that he had taken on a second job working at an auto parts store as well to help provide for the family. They finally told her at this point that they had found the dead body of Albert in his truck, 
but that they could not positively identify him yet as an autopsy still had to be performed. But they were pretty sure that the person inside the truck was Albert. The girls explained that they had been trying to reach him for hours, and both of them broke down in tears hysterically, telling them that they had spoke with Albert's co-workers and his boss, and they were so concerned because they hadn't heard from him like they normally did every morning. The detectives went on with their investigation, trying to interview businesses and residents in the areas with no luck. They were also not able to find any surveillance cameras in the area that possibly caught any footage as to what happened. The case was quickly becoming a cold case, with no leads coming in and the detectives were becoming stumped. The detectives did not want the execution type of death to go cold, but honestly, they didn't know where to turn or where to go. During the autopsy, they found that Albert had been shot twice. Albert was shot twice in the back of his head and also two more times in his back. Now the worst part about this murder was that the autopsy did not see any wounds that showed that Albert was even able to fight back during this altercation, as seen that he was blindsided. Police began their investigation into full force once the autopsy was performed. That's when Detective Patterson noticed that just a few years prior, her other husband, Alan, had also been shot and killed in a similar situation as Albert, in a carjacking situation. They also noticed that at the time of Alan's death, that Lorraine had collected a half a million dollar life insurance policy as well. They went on to speak with Alan's family about what exactly had happened during this carjacking situation and what was everything that happened surrounding his death and they had learned that the initial life insurance policy was actually worth $225,000, but it had a clause in it that if Alan was murdered, that the policy would increase to a half a million dollars. So essentially, if Alan was murdered, his life insurance policy would double. Alan's family had often thought Lorraine had either had Alan killed for the life insurance policy, or she had killed him herself but there just wasn't enough evidence for them to be able to prove that in a court of law. So when detectives went back to speak to Lorraine about Albert's death, they asked her if Albert had a life insurance policy. Lorraine informed the police that to her knowledge, he did not have a life insurance policy. But the police during their investigation found out quite a different story. Instead, they found out that Albert actually did have a $425,000 life insurance policy. Again, this life insurance policy was in Lorraine's name, just like Alan's had been. They also found out from Albert's boss that only hours after the police had found out that Albert had been killed, Lorraine was calling up to Albert's boss to get his life insurance information so that she could contact the company to start the process of getting his benefits and she was calling the life insurance just a few hours after his death. So now the detectives with this information went back to Lorraine to try to figure out what exactly was going on and why she wasn't telling them the truth when they had initially asked her if he had a life insurance policy. Lorraine's excuse was that she claimed she had forgot that she knew that he had a life insurance policy through his work. 
She claimed that she had forgotten that she had called Albert's boss that morning of the murder, and she also claimed that she was just so distraught from that day that it was all just a blur to her that she totally forgot that she had called the life insurance company. Doing more investigation into Albert's death, they learned that Lorraine had also taken out a life insurance policy on Albert himself. So not only did he have the life insurance policy from his work, but Lorraine had also taken out a policy on him as well. Now the total of the two policies came to just over a million dollars. So now to the police, the money was starting to look like a very good motive for this murder. So the detectives decided to put on hold the death certificate. This way, Lorraine could not collect on any of the insurance policies until the death investigation was cleared and the death certificate could be released. So when the police went to go talk to Lorraine and they asked her to take a polygraph test, Lorraine agreed and said that she would come into the police station the next day to perform the polygraph test. But the next day came and went and the detectives waited around all day for Lorraine and of course she didn't show up. They didn't try calling her several times and still got her voicemail and she never answered. The next few days, the detectives continued going to her apartment, calling her, and still nothing. Finally, a week later, the detectives received a letter from Lorraine. In the letter, she stated that she had changed her mind about taking that polygraph test. She decided that she didn't feel comfortable taking the polygraph test because it wasn't admissible in court. Due to not being able to polygraph Lorraine, sadly this case starts to go cold. The police simply cannot proceed any further without having any new evidence or having the results of the polygraph test. Almost two years into the investigation of Albert's death in October of 2011, the police respond to a teenager who had been, shot cop who had been caught shoplifting at a local department store. When the police arrived, the teenager explained to the detectives that she had some information they might be interested in on the death of Albert Thomas. She said that she wanted to talk to the police. The teenager claimed that on the day before Albert's death, that she had gone over to the apartment of Lorraine and Brianna to hang out with her Brianna, who was her best friend. As she was coming out of the bathroom, she was walking into the kitchen and saw Brianna holding a gun with Lorraine, her mother, explaining to her how to pull the trigger of this gun. She said that it was at that moment that Brianna looked at her mother and said, Are you sure we really need to kill him? And her mother Lorraine said, Yeah, he's going to leave us and then we will have no money. You will need to kill him. The teenager goes on to tell the police that later on in that evening she saw Brianna and Lorraine and Albert go out for a nighttime walk. Now this was not unusual because this is something that they would do often, but a few hours later Brianna wound up calling the teenage girl asking her to bring Lorraine's car to the local school that they needed to be picked up. When the teenager got into Lorraine's car she drove over to the school where both Brianna and Lorraine were there. The three of them went back to the apartment. Once inside the apartment, Lorraine instructed Brianna to quickly hop into the shower and also to give her mom the clothes that she had been wearing. That's when Lorraine went and washed the clothing 
that she had been wearing that night. Have you ever been interested about what all it takes to be a truck driver out here, delivering the goods all across America? Or more importantly, what is it like being a team trucker out here with your significant other 24 hours a day in a small confined space, working together, eating together, sleeping together, you name it. If you've ever been curious about the trucking industry, please listen to Larry and I's other podcast, Married to the Road. Again, that's Married, the number two, the road. Please be sure to give it a listen today and don't forget to hit that follow button. Brianna's still in the shower and Lorraine decided to go ahead and wash her clothing. Once she had Brianna's clothes clean, the teenager said that Lorraine wound up putting Brianna's clothes into a trash bag and taking them out to the dumpster. When Lorraine came back into the apartment, she told the girls not to worry. Everything was going to be okay because the next morning was the normal pickup day when trash would be picked up. And trash at her apartment was normally picked up about 5 a.m. Now, the police found everything that the teenager was saying very interested, and they decided that they need to work out a plea deal with this teenager. They told her that they would dismiss her, dismiss her shoplifting charges as long as she agreed to meet with Lorraine and wear a wire to help them get a confession on the murder of Albert. The teenager not seeing any other way out of this and seeing that if she agreed to wear a wire that the police said that they would dismiss her shoplifting charges, finally agreed to wear a wire. So what the police wound up doing was at the same time that the teenager was supposed to go to the apartment to meet Lorraine, police on the other side of town were arresting the daughter, Brianna, and bringing her to the police station. So the teenager winds up going to Lorraine's apartment. When she gets there, she tells her that the police have talked to her and they want to know what she knows about the possible murder of Albert. Lorraine starts getting super upset with her and yelling, saying that the only way that the police would even have that information and know anything about what would have happened that night was if the teenager herself was a snitch. A few minutes later, Lorraine and the teenager start to leave the apartment as they decide to go to the police station to see what is going on with Brianna. The police felt that they had no choice at that time, so they decided to go ahead and arrest Lorraine and brought her to the police station along with Brianna. While questioning Brianna, she admitted that her mother had been the one to shoot Albert in the back of his head and his back. So they went to Lorraine and they tried to get her to admit that she was the one that had pulled the trigger and it actually fatally shot Albert, not her daughter, Brianna. But Lorraine, being the type of person that she was, refused to say anything that could have saved her daughter. The police then told Lorraine that this was her only opportunity to admit that she was the one that killed Albert that if she agreed to tell them that she was the one that pulled the trigger, that the police would agree to drop the charges against Brianna. Having the opportunity to be a true mother to her daughter and free her daughter, Lorraine decided to do the exact opposite and just remained quiet. Police also learned that the gun that had possibly been used in the crime could have been a gun that Lorraine had borrowed from a good friend of hers. Police then executed a warrant and went to go search Lorraine's friend's house. 
That is when they found up in the attic a 38 caliber gun that was hidden in a closet. A few days later, after the forensic had been confirmed on the gun, it was confirmed that the 38 caliber was indeed the gun that was used to commit the crime. They also were able to pull fingerprints off the gun that matched Lorraine. As if this, sat, this case cannot get any sadder, it turns out that Lorraine was not done plotting and scheming. As Lorraine was sitting in jail and the police began, they began intercepting letters that she was writing back and forth to her daughter, Brianna. Now, Brianna was housed in another section of the jailhouse. But in these letters, she began begging and then pleading and then eventually threatening her own daughter, telling her not to testify against her and instead to take the full blame of the murder all on Brianna's shoulders alone. And I guess when that didn't work, Lorraine's bunkmate said that she was trying to hire a hit on the teenage witness, who was the other witness that detectives had been talking to. Now, when the detectives found out about this possible hit on their teenage witness, they had an undercover police officer visit Lorraine in jail. The sole purpose of this visit was to try to convince Lorraine that he was a hitman that would take care of this for her. She offered to pay him to kill the teenage witness. So the undercover officer told her that he would need to have the teenage girl's photo, her name, and the address so that he knew exactly who the target was. So Lorraine decided to reach out to some of her family members who she felt that she could trust. She had them help her get the information to the police informant. Now, when the police went on to confront her about this information and to inform her that she was not being charged with that she was now going to be charged with trying to hire a hit on the teenage witness. Brianna was charged and was wound up receiving 15 years and nine months for three counts of manslaughter after she decided to turn evidence on her own mother. After hearing what her mother was planning on doing to the other teenage witness, Brianna decided that she was going to talk to the police and tell them exactly what her mother had been plotting. It seemed that her mother, Lorraine, had been plotting for over a year. Brianna said that even though she thought Albert was working two jobs to take care of them, Lorraine just decided it was never enough. She never had enough money. She was never able to do what she wanted to do, and she felt that Albert just had to go. She said that finally she said Albert, she just had enough with him and she said that she was afraid Albert was going to leave them. And Lorraine knew that he was going to be worth a lot more to them dead. So that's when the plot began. Lorraine finally did get her day in court. Her trial lasted for over two months. And during the trial, not only was she charged with first degree murder, but the jurors also decided to charge her with two other additional counts allegations of lying in wait and also killing for financial gain. The prosecution's key witness was Lorraine's 23-year-old daughter, Brianna Hunter. Brianna was the one who confessed to plotting with her own mother to help kill Thomas. According to Brianna, she said that there was frequent arguments in the house with Thomas about having not having enough money to spend. She also described her mother as money-hungry and never being happy with the amount of money that Albert was contributing to the household. Brianna said over the, year, over the last year of Albert's life that she had aided her mother in filling out at least three life insurance applications. 
on each of the applications and named her stepfather as the insured party and Lorraine Hunter, her mother, as the principal beneficiary of the life insurance policies. Brianna also admitted that in the two months before Albert was actually killed, the Lorraine Hunter had planned to shoot her husband Thomas on three other occasions. Two of the times was when they were on walks through their neighborhood, and the third time is when he was outside of his workplace at the Fontana, California trucking company that he worked at. But each time, there was too many witnesses in the area, so the plot was foiled. Brianna also admitted to being there on each of the three occasions and also knowing beforehand what her mother had planned and still not doing anything to try to stop it. It wasn't until that fateful evening of November 3rd, 2009, when the three of them left the apartment to go on their normal nightly stroll that they decided to stop off to his big rig semi-truck because Albert wanted to grab a sweatshirt out of it that he had bought for his 15-year-old stepdaughter as a gift while he was over the road. As the three of them climbed into the truck and Thomas ducked into the rear sleeper compartment to find the sweatshirt that he had bought for Brianna, that is when Brianna said that her mother jumped into the semi-truck and wound up shooting Albert. Sadly, both these women are going to spend a very long time in prison. This is just an awful case of greed. Thank you so much for listening to Trucking True Crime Podcast. We truly appreciate it. Don't forget, we'll be back next Saturday with another episode of Trucking True Crime Podcast. Be safe, everybody. Thank you so much, my true crime roadies, for giving our podcast a listen. We really appreciate you listening to our Trekking True Crime podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to visit our Instagram page or our TikTok page, also Trekking True Crime podcast. And don't forget that you can visit our Facebook page as well. Again, Trekking True Crime podcast. Be sure to like, share, and follow, and be sure to share out our podcast to all your friends. We'll be back here next week with another great episode. Thank you so much, my true crime roadies. Be safe out there. Music.